welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. So we're in um, week four of a series called Wells and Fences, and uh, it's, it's essentially an, an exploration of these six affirmations that stand at the center of the Covenant Church, which, if you didn't know, Awaken will be received in the Covenant in a couple of uh, weeks, actually, end of June, I think. And so we're exploring this idea, and the, the metaphor or the kind of language we've been using is wells and fences. And so just kind of by way of review, uh, the first week we talked about and explored this, the difference between wells and fences, which is really uh, to say the difference between a bounded set way of understanding community and a fa- uh, and a, or a faith community and a centered set. And so we've been using this graphic uh, that will show up here, and on the left is really this idea of bounded, a bounded set. And the important, uh, the important question in a bounded set is, do you believe what we believe? So the fence becomes the things that we believe, and they thereby become the thing that we determine who's in and out. So if you believe these things, then the, the door opens, and you're welcome to come into our community and participate in our community. And if you don't, you essentially stand on the outside of in. Uh, on, the, on the right is a different way of seeing it, a different way of understanding community, which is to say, or the important question here is, what direction are you going and what's the, the, your, your velocity or, or your momentum? So the question isn't, are you in or out, but are you, are you moving towards the center? Whether you're a million miles away or right next to it, what direction are you headed and what, uh, um, what's your momentum in that? Um, so that sort of framed this whole idea of the center and it awakened we want to posit or we want to offer the opportunity or the possibility to be a centered set community. The life, death, resurrection, teachings of this Jesus the Christ becomes the center, the well in which we draw from because we believe that it gives life. And so uh, as we've been moving on from there, we talked a couple weeks ago about the centrality of the word. That the Bible isn't the Bible, or it's not interesting and something that's important because it's the 66 books, the Bible, you know, but rather that it's the God behind the scriptures, the God who reveals God's self in and through this text that becomes the thing that we're after. And so therefore this thing, this, this story, this narrative of Jesus found in the scriptures will remain at the center of who we are as a community. A couple weeks, or last week, we talked about the necessity of new birth. That in, this, in these scriptures, it seems to be that there is an offering, an invitation by God through this Jesus in faith that we follow him. And so there's a necessity for new birth. This morning, we want to explore this idea of the whole mission of the church. Uh, so let me start with a question, and uh, uh, there's a number of friends, uh, my friends in, in the Covenant Church planting world, they, they come from settings that are a little more lively than Awaken tends to be. And so I told them, don't hold back, like I'm planting you guys, so uh, we get a little hooping and hollering going, don't anybody freak out, okay, we're going to roll with it. Uh, and in fact, they, I think we have something to learn here on this. Uh, yeah, come on now. <clears throat> So let me start with a question. The question is, what is the mission of the church? If I were to ask you, somebody comes up at work at the water cooler and says, what's the church about? What do you say? Go ahead. Not a trick question. Please feel free to shout it out. What's the purpose of the church? What's the mission of the church? Okay, proclaim the gospel. What else? Discipleship. Discipleship? Community. Community, yeah. What else? Make disciples. disciples. Say it again. Save people, okay? Now, let me, let, me, let me change the question just a little bit and we'll see where this takes us. What's the perception by the world of the mission of the church? What does the world think the mission of the church is? What do you hear? Collecting money. Collecting money? <laughs> Judgment. What else? Holier than thou. Holier than thou? Domination. Domination. <laughs> okay, what else? 
to tell people what God thinks. Hello, Joe, got a problem. <laughs> a little bit of dissonance, right, between what we understand the mission of the church to be and maybe how we're perceived, yeah? A little bit of dissonance there. I wonder if an exploration on this topic might do us a little bit of good. Uh, in American Christianity, if, 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 as I was thinking about this uh, today, if, as I asked the question, what's the mission of the church? Uh, and if I were to ask my friends about that, I think the most common response that I get is rooted in evangelism, right? This idea that we would proclaim the gospel, that people would be saved, and by that, often we mean they would believe the right things about God, that they would understand, that they would have orthodox understandings about who Jesus was, what the Bible says, who God is, and our place, and all that, right? And we can't forget sin. Come on, for crying out loud. So, so if you were to ask it, it's rooted in evangelism, and by that, we often mean believe the right things about God, orthodoxy. You have to understand that that's a pendulum swing reaction to something that's happened previously in our history. 30s, 40s, 50s, out of mostly Europe, came this idea of what, what was termed or coined this, a social gospel, which was essentially the antithesis of this. If this is orthodoxy, right belief about God, it was this idea of orthopraxy, right action about God. And so it unfortunately became this, I would argue, a watered-down version where it was just do the right things in the world, be people of justice, be people of peace, be people of those kinds of things, but never a call to repentance and faith in Jesus. And so the reaction was among evangelicals, no, it's about orthodoxy. It's like repentance, sin, like we got to do that, right? And so it's been this pendulum swing to the other side. I would submit to you that neither one of those two by themselves is an understanding of the church or the gospel in its entirety. That there's work to be done there and that those two things have to be held in tension if we're going to get at the heart of what we're talking about when we talk about the church and the gospel. So, this morning, I want to, uh, if you know me and you've been around awake and long enough, um, this will come as no surprise to you. If we're going to answer the question, what's the whole mission of the church, I would argue we have to go back. And not only one click, but two clicks. I want to suggest we have to go back to, what does it mean to be the people of God? number one. But further than that, what does it mean to be human? Because if you're going to ask the question, what's the whole mission of the church? You have to remember churches are not made up of robots. They're not made up of animals. They're made up of people, humans. So to be human has to be connected to what is the whole mission of the church. To be the church has to be connected to what is the people of God and a broad theological understanding of what is the people of God as the scripture tells that story. So that's what I want to do this morning is offer a couple of thoughts on what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be the people of God? And then therefore, what is the whole mission of the church? Are you with me? Okay, so Genesis chapter one, if you will, opens with the creation story. And in it, it says this. Uh, uh, Well, let me, before I go there, intimately connected to the story of creation and the first humans, Adam and Eve, is this invitation that God gives to participate and to steward that which is in creation. So I want to follow this progression with me. For some who have been here at Awaken, we've covered this long ago, so this may be review, but verse 11 says this, Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with the seed in it according to their various kinds. A word that's important here is the word produce. In Hebrew, it's dasha, and it means to grow or to sprout. So in creation itself, endowed by the creator, is the capacity and the ability to produce, to sprout, to grow. If you take a picture out this window, and then you take a picture six months from now, you all will be depressed because it will be winter, but that will have changed. Why? Because creation is not static. 
Creation has been infused with, endowed with, the life-giving force of the God that made it. And therefore, it has the capacity to desha, to produce, to grow, to sprout. So the trees, the land, the animals, the fish, us, given to us by the creator is this capacity to create, to produce. So it's not a static thing. It's a dynamic, ongoing thing in which we see the breath, the very breath of God. How do Adam and Eve become animated human beings? It's the breath, the life-giving force of God that's given to them. So verse 11, produce. Now skip down to verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image and in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all of the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now verse 28 says, God blessed them, humans, and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it the sea, the birds of the air, and every other living creature that moves on the ground. Two words that are really important here. Rule and subdue. It's radah and kabash in the Hebrew. These two words have this uh, tied up, connected to their meaning, is this idea of caring for, stewarding, watching over, guiding, participating. So check, follow me, right? God creates the world. You and I are a part of this. And we don't stand back and watch God pull the strings because God's a puppet master. No, humans are invited into not only just participation in creation that we might produce, that we might create, that we might give life to things, but that we would be guides and stewards of all that God has made. So God entrusts the first humans not to stand back and watch it all happen, but to be participants in creation. And what the Hebrews call shalom, which is this word we, we understand it to be peace, which isn't the absence of war, but rather where all that God has made is properly ordered. Creation is about ordering. God in the Hebrew scriptures, which is a whole nother sermon, but in the, in the creation account brings order out of chaos. And so humans are invited to participate in the continual ordering of creation as God intended it, which is called shalom. Harmony between God the creator, humans who have been given this job, responsibility, invitation, and the world that we live in. Are you following? you tracking so far? Come on. Yeah, okay, we are. So a biblical, Tim Keller calls this universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. So the first humans, and I would argue us as well, connected to who we are made to be is this invitation to be stewards of, to be proponents of, to be people who help make happen universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. And when we find ourselves in situations where that's not present, we as humans, innately connected to who we are, is this invitation to be people who work for it, not against it. The Bible calls that sin. And we're not to participate in it in whatever way, shape, and form it looks like. But rather, invited to be people who bring it about, who help create it, who help make it flourish. So that we would be people who participate in, who help make happen flourishing wholeness and delight. So a biblical theology of the church and the whole mission of the church has to begin here. In what does it mean to be human? And if that piece is missing, when we talk about the church, that we're people who are invited to participate in the stewardship of creation, to be partners and stewards, I would submit we have something missing. This is why, for us at Awaken, 
the garden. If uh, those of you that are, that are guests here this morning, just on the other side of the parking lot is a, is a food patch where we garden and give food away to people who need food. Gardening is a part of our response to that. It's a way by which we understand a theology of how God has made us, that there's, there is enough in the world, that it is not a world of scarcity, and that if properly ordered, there can be flourishing wholeness and delight for all of the humans that live here, that it doesn't have to be the haves and the, haves, the have-nots. So we respond in that way. That's why art is important to us. Because art is a, is a, it's, a, it's something that comes from within us, as Kaylee said, and when we let it out... It can be, if understood properly, a way that we, un- that, we, that we live in worship to God. Because this is in us, not because of some random happenstance, but because the Creator has endowed it to us. So we want to pull those things out. We want to be people who are, who are participants and stewards in what God has made. So if we're talking about the mission of the church, we start with humanity moving to God's people. I would submit two possibilities, or at least two words, bless and defend. Bless and defend. If you turn to Genesis 12, throughout Israel's history in the Old Testament, these two themes are always present. Bless and defend. Genesis 12 says this, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And get this, all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. So God's blessing of Abram, which becomes the nation of Israel, is for something. The Israelites, the people of God, the original people of God, aren't blessed because God thought they looked better or had better hair or they could grow longer beards, you know, you know hipster beards or whatever. Uh, no, it's, it's for something. So God's blessing of Israel, God's blessing of the people of God had a telos, it had a trajectory, it was going somewhere. And where it was going was the benefit, the blessing of all of the world. So if what happens in Genesis 3, which sends this thing all a, a wonk, you know, off kilter, God's response is this people group through whom the world might be blessed. By blessed, we mean that they would, there would be the possibility of redemption, restoration, renewal, salvation, shalom. When God's people stop being a blessing to the world through their presence, we have lost something fundamental to the mission of the church. Let me say that again. When God's people stop being a blessing to the world, we have lost something fundamental to what it means to be the church. Because this is God's original intent for God's people. Of which, the first group of which started at, at the Exodus, uh, you know, the baptism of Moses in the Red Sea onto Sinai, this group of people is birthed and then is reappropriated or re-understood in and through Jesus at Acts 2 at Pentecost. What remains is the same call to bless and defend, to be a blessing to the world. Deuteronomy chapter 24, flip there if you would. If this Genesis 12 is this blessing idea, Deuteronomy 24 verse 17 says this, do not deprive the foreigner of, or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. Verse 19, 
When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the who? The foreigner, the alien, the orphan, the widow. When you harvest your grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the you see, you see the, the, the pattern here, foreigner, the fatherless, the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. Where there is no shalom, where there is the, broken, the breaking of shalom, universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, the people of God are called and commanded to step into those situations and to be people who defend the cause of the alien, the orphan, the fatherless, and the widow who become the people who advocate for those who have no voice. The connected inherently to God's call on his people is to be these folks who are found where brokenness, where shalom is broken, where there's injustice, oppression, that we become the people who stand in the gap and work for shalom. This is something Yahweh demands. So what does this look like for us? This is why we're involved at Garlo. Garlow is a school that's not filled with a bunch of lazy kids who come from unfortunate circumstances. Garlow is the representation of systemic brokenness where kids who can't read or who come to school hungry can't focus and then can't read. And we know that if a kid can't read by third grade, it equals incarceration rates. They're the same thing. So what's present at Garlow is not an unfortunate circumstance, but it's a systemic injustice that the people of God should be found making progress in and advocating for. So when we're there, we're not just showing up to say, hey, you know, we hope you can read, or hey, we hope... This is rooted in a deep sense of of responsibility as to who the people of God have been called to be and to be working for the possibility of the redemption of all things that God is working through and making possible through the work of Jesus on the cross. So when we come, we don't show up with just good wishes and because we're Scandinavians. It's rooted in a deep theology of who God has called us to be. So if we're asking a question about what's the mission of the church, I would suggest stewards and partners because it's who God's made us to be as humans. Blessers and defenders, people who advocate for, people who stand in the gap of, people who work for. And friends, listen, if, you're, if you come from a position of power and privilege, one of the things I'm learning from my friends in the, in the church planting world is we're not looking for apologies, but use what you have and invest it. Use it to leverage it for the work of the kingdom in the world. Don't apologize. Use what you've got and do it, use it for something good in the world, something that will, that will actually work against the systemic things that are wrong with the systems. We use it for the blessing of the world. Use it. Some, you've been, you have something in your hands. Use it. That's right. Come on now, Mike. <laughs> Drop it like it's hot. Drop it like it's hot, yo. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> so if we're talking about the mission of the church, it's got to be rooted in who we are as humans, and it's got to be rooted in who we've been called to be as the, as the people of God in the world. Paul uses this beautiful language in 2 Corinthians, and it's one of an ambassador. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. 
We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God has made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And listen to what he says at the next chapter. As God's co-workers, not as God's consumers, not as God's receivers, not as God's, but as God's co-workers, as people who receive the invitation of God to participate and partner with God in the ongoing work of redemption, I urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. When we sit here and do nothing, I would submit to you that we, we spit upon the gospel and the work of Jesus Christ that he's offering to us. When we don't see ourselves as co-laborers and participants, we make a mockery of the cross. Ambassadors. Not only have we been called to participate and be stewards of co-creators, we've been called to bless and defend. We've been called to represent, to be ambassadors for. Paul says... As though God were making his appeal to the world through you. Listen up, church. As though God, the creator, was making an appeal to your neighbor, your coworker, your friend, your family member, through you. Be found faithful doing the things God has called us to be and do. To be an ambassador means to speak on behalf of. It means to represent. It means to represent. It means to have the authority of and to be sent by. This is what God has called us to do and be. This is found in the Covenant Affirmation book. It says this, Therefore, the covenant is committed to reaching across boundaries of race, ethnicity, culture, gender, age, and status in the cultivation of communities of life and service. This mission belongs to the whole church. Not to your missions department, not to some parachurch organization who's doing the work of orphans and, and widows and justice relief. No, to the church. The spiritual priesthood of all believers. Not just me. You. All of us, men, women, young, old, laity, clergy, the covenant seeks to hold together proclamation and compassion, witness and social justice, service and stewardship. So we began this morning with a question. The question of what's the whole mission of the church? And I will say this. If the whole mission of the church If the mission of the church is saving souls, we have missed, if it's just, if it's just saving souls, we have missed the narrative arc of the scriptures. And I would argue we have missed what Jesus comes to do and be and offer. If it is relegated to people's souls being saved so that they go to heaven somewhere else when they die and not you know where, we have totally and utterly missed the point. This is a great adventure in missing the point. If the mission of the church is just saving souls, then we can keep doing what we're doing. We can stand on corners with bullhorns and shout it out, irregardless of what the culture says or thinks about us, so long as somebody crosses the line of faith. If this is what it's about, then we can continue doing what we're doing, raping and pillaging the earth for our own comfort and our own desires, because it's all going to burn anyways, right? If this is all that it's about, then we can continue to be totally... Uh, to, 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 to not even pay attention to people who are suffering and who are oppressed because as long as their souls are saved, that's all that matters and when they get to heaven, everything's going to be fine. And I would submit this is exactly why when we speak of the gospel in our culture, it's oftentimes met with ad- 
at best, you know, benign neglect or sort of passivity, and at worst, downright anger and animosity towards the church and the gospel of Jesus. But what if, what if the mission of the church was wrapped up in a bigger dream that God had for the world? What if the mission of the church was wrapped up in a dream that was bigger than that, and we were people who were becoming awake to God's dream for ourselves, our neighborhoods, and our worlds? And what if that dream included an active role and responsibility and as stewards and partners with God for the shalom of our neighborhoods and our world? What if it included a, a, the dream of God's blessing for restoration and renewal and redemption for God's world and an active defense and advocacy for those who have no voice and who suffer in the world? What if it included being ambassadors not only of the forgiveness that Jesus offers, but the justice that Jesus ensures that he is and will make all things new and that all that is evil and dark and oppressive in this world will not last because it is not of the light? I think the answer to your question when, your friend, when you ask it to your friend, hey, do you want to come to church, might start sounding different. I don't know about you, we have some work to do. Some might say we have a PR problem as it relates to the gospel and Jesus. And there's no pointing fingers here, friends. I want to I offer the possibility that we own that, that maybe we have forgotten some of the things that God has called us to do and be in the world, and that we take a step towards what I would submit to you is a more holistic understanding of the mission of the church in the world. That we might be found as people. So here's the payout on this is, what you buy matters. Where it came from, it matters. The world that we live in and how we care for it, all that God has made good and called good will last in God's new kingdom. Which means that when we treat it in a way that doesn't recognize that, we are not participating in what God has called us to do and be as partners and stewards. What you do matters in the world. The clothes that you're wearing and where they came from matters. Who made them and how much they were paid, it matters. We can no longer turn a blind eye to the ways that we implicitly or, or participate in systems that oppress people. The church has got to do better than that. And I think it has to be rooted in a theology that's more robust about what is the church and who have we been called to be. I would submit to you that's a little bit more compelling vision. And I offer it to you with open hands for your consideration. I could be wrong, but I offer it to you to consider who God, who Jesus has called us to be as the church. May we be found faithful as partners, stewards, working for shalom in God's good creation, as people who bless and defend the cause of the orphan, the alien, the widow, the stranger, and who are ambassadors of this God who hangs on a cross with arms wide open, and I'm, 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 I'm resisting the temptation to sing Scott Stapp here right now, who hangs with arms wide open on a cross, offering forgiveness and grace and mercy and justice, to all who say, I will follow you. Pray with me if you would. I'm going to invite Ben and Kaylee. Uh, and in a moment, Kaylee's going to read a poem that she wrote as kind of a response to her efforts of living this out. Uh, but pray with me if you would. God, as we consider 
all that you have asked, called, invited us to be as your church. I am just uniquely aware and poignantly aware of the fact that we are broken people who mess this up all the time. And so God, I pray that if there are areas in our own lives personally or collectively where we have missed it or dropped it, God, we repent. Teshuva, we, we, we return, we turn around and we move towards who you have called us to be, what is in your heart for us as your church and your world. And so God, may we be empowered by your spirit to live out and live into these things that you've called us to do and be. God, may we be found faithful as people who are partners and stewards in the ongoing work of creation. May we be found people who bless, who are a blessing to the world that we live in and who defend and who stand in the gap for and who advocate for those who have no voice. God, may we be May we be a beautiful picture, living and breathing of this Jesus that we follow. When I was a senior in high school, I went on a mission trip to Haiti. And during a Haitian church service there, I was just overwhelmed by the beauty of these people and how much they loved Jesus. And this poem is about that. Port-au-Prince, Palm Sunday. Your land has been gutted. I was meant to mend the grass with golden thread, but there is only rock and potholes, trenches filled with trash, slowly decomposing into dust. Has your name evaporated from the soil? I am not a gardener. My thread breaks in the sand. I hear your church before I see it, a thick roar rushing from a cube of concrete and slanted tin. Hundreds of dark hands pressed wide, moving, their arms knobby branches, their fingers flowers, palms blooming. One old woman sings in a short purple prom dress, the material shiny as the sweat landing on her frayed face, her closed eyelids. From her mouth, words that meld with the multitude repeating your name. You have grown trees without help from hands of skin and bone. I am a witness of the years, ripples in the wood. She is still singing. Her dress fans out as she spins shapes into the floor her hands braided with currents. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakencommunity or on Twitter at awakencommunity. See you next time.